Hi everyone, Mike Morse here. Got a new look today. Got my hat on, my Detroit Tigers hat. I was feeling missing Detroit Tiger baseball. Thanks for being with us. Thanks for listening. We have a unique episode today, something that's outside of the norm of what we usually do. But it, it, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do a tie-in later, and you'll, you're gonna kind of understand this. Our guest today is a man named Frank King, and in 2016 he began coaching people to be TEDx speakers and talkers. And when a number of his speaking, marketing, coaching clients approached him and asked him if they would, if he would help, he agreed and has been getting people booked to do TEDx talks all the time. And if you don't know what TED talks are, you're missing out. I love watching TED talks, and that's another reason Frank's on the show. He's had over two dozen clients do TEDx talks. One of them has done it a couple of times. Frank King was a writer for The Tonight Show for 20 years, and he holds the record for the longest nonstop comedy road trip ever. Beginning the day after Christmas in 1985, he and his wife were on the road for 2,629 nights in a row, comedy club to comedy club, sleeping in cheap, crappy motels with no home, just a P.O. box and a voicemail. He worked with some of the funniest people on this planet, including Jerry Seinfeld and Jeff Foxworthy, Adam Sandler, Ellen DeGeneres, all these people, some of my favorites, Kevin James. And since becoming a public speaker on suicide prevention in 2014, he's done five TEDx talks and he has another one scheduled for next year. So you could tell this guy has got so many interesting things to talk about. So let's bring him. Let's bring him on right now. Frank King, welcome to Open Mic. You never know who you're going to see. Be one guy one on one my whole career. What you're going to hear. You got a lot of desperate people in the city. Or what they've got to say. When you can take people inside of a crime. That's what you're going to hear on my podcast, Open Mic. Find it where you find your podcasts. <laughs> Open Mic. Oh God, that's giving me PTSD. Right. <laughs> that's as a comic, you know. That's how you begin open mic nights. You have quite a quite a that's quite an intro, an intro there. I just read that's yeah. uh, you've done it all, and now you're doing TEDx stuff, talking suicide comedy. I mean, I don't even know where to start with you. Let's start with the Tonight Show since that was a long time ago. Yeah, um, I I grew up watching that with my dad with Johnny Carson. I know I'm aging myself. I don't look that old. Um, what what? Tell me about your 20 years. Who who was the host during the time you were there? Well, what was happening was during that 2,629 nights on the road, uh, Jay was a permanent guest host. And Johnny would pull up on a Friday night and say to the staff, I'm taking next week off, which meant, as you probably recall, Monday nights was best Carson, so rerun. That gave Jay four nights to fill an 18-joke monologue each night. So what he started doing was hiring comics who were working the road, put them under contract as contractors. You know, you're selling on spec. And I would turn in a dozen, two dozen jokes a day, and I was getting a couple of a couple of week in the monologue. The dream was because everybody thought he would get the Tonight Show eventually. The dream was that if you're a contract player and he gets the Tonight Show, and you have enough production that he might put you on staff in the building, you know, join the Writers Guild and so forth and so on. Unfortunately, I never made it quite that far. But when you got the show for real. And they cut loose most of the contractors. And I, I stayed on and a couple other guys to write for him as host of the show. Still under contract outside the building. But, you know, it's okay. uh, it's all right. So so you got to work with and meet a bunch of uh, 
celebrities like the ones I mentioned, Jerry Seinfeld. I mean, did you write? I mean, they came with their own jokes. So you just met them when you were in the building um, working on the show? Yes, we'd be three comics per show back in the day. Uh, and we just didn't do shows together. Back in the day, most uh, week-long clubs, instead of getting a hotel, hotel rooms, they would get a condo. They call it a comedy condo. And we would live together for a week. Myself, my wife, and two other comics. For her, it's kind of like a frat house. But wow. but yeah, we would spend like, you know, with Foxworthy, we'd spend a week, two weeks together, you know, go to the show, do the thing, come home, have a beer, watch, you know, watch Letterman or whatever. So it was, yeah, it was... Um, it, really nice people for the most part, intelligent. Some had no common sense, but I never met one that wasn't intelligent. So, I mean, you were writing for um, the Tonight Show. Were you ever on the Tonight Show? No, I applied 12 times to do stand up on the Tonight Show and on Letterman and on Conan, and I got turned down each and every time. Why was that? Were you just, what kind, I mean, they just didn't like your, they didn't like it, or what was the deal there? I think because they didn't, didn't have third party representation, the people that tend to get that kind of break, that national back then, they were, you know, there was a tonight show was a big deal. The only three networks and so forth. Um, and most of them had had third party representation. Foxworthy had a manager. Steve Harvey had a manager. You know, those guys tended to get the tonight show spots. So when okay. uh, the, the material wasn't good, I mean, it's, you know, it was good, clean material. I just never could quite escape gravity there. You want to tell me your what was one? Tell me one of your favorite uh, bits. Jokes that I sold to Leno? Or, yeah, what are your favorite, uh, either one that you would deliver or one that you sold to him? Whatever you, whatever comes to mind. I know I'm putting you on the spot. Oh, no. Um, I actually sold two of them to him, two jokes to him for his very first monologue when he took over for Johnny. Wow. Yep. And the first one was. That's a good deal. Yeah, well, you know, comics are lazy. And I knew because there was a two-week break between Johnny and Jay, it was just reruns of The Tonight Show, that most comics would take the two weeks off. And I thought, now I'm just going to pump the jokes in. So I did. <laughs> two jokes in the first monologue the first one was some guy got stung to death by bees in texas now bear in mind we're talking decades ago um so a guy in texas got stung to death by uh bees yeah they weren't killer bees and uh, now it turns out they were just ordinary honeybees upset over the rodney king verdict which killed because it was about that time yeah. and then the other one was um dan quayle said that murphy brown a character in a sitcom having a child out of wedlock as part of the story on the sitcom. Uh, Murphy Brown having a child out of wedlock mocks the importance of fathers. And then Quayle gave me the setup. He said, where would I have been without my dad? Uh, yeah, my guess, Vietnam. And it killed. Oh, my God. So thank the Lord. Both of them did very well. Very nice. Very nice. Well, so so let's so you're not, so you're now you're doing Ted talks. You're sitting behind, you're sitting in front of a big Ted talk. <laughs> tell, me, tell me what, and I haven't had the chance to watch your Ted talks yet, but tell me how you got into that. And what are you, what's your topic? Is it the same every time? Tell me about that. The, uh, what happened was um, after I did, I did corporate comedy for about 10 years from 95 to 2012 years, I guess, 95 to 2007, because the club thing, you know, the comedy boom, comedy club boom busted. So I was always very clean. So I made the jump from the bar room to the boardroom and comedy club to corporate comedy, just good, clean comedy after dinner, after lunch, the rubber chicken circuit. And I made crazy money for about 12 years. And then the recession hit. And by 2010, business had dropped off 80%. My wife and I lost everything in a chapter seven bankruptcy. And that's when I learned what the barrel of my gun tasted like, literally. Um, spoiler alert, I did not pull the trigger. Um, and I tell that joke, in my keynote. And the next thing I tell people is a friend of mine came up to me after a keynote. He'd never heard me say I didn't pull the trigger. So he goes, Hey man, 
Like if he didn't pull the trigger. I go, hey man, could you try to sound a little less disappointed? Yeah. Which gets a bigger laugh. Right. Uh, the problem for me was I've been a comedian all that time. I was a funny speaker. How do you go from being a funny speaker to a speaker who's funny? And so I, my wife goes, do a TEDx talk. And I said famously, what's a TEDx talk? Just by chance, I've gotten an email that week from a TEDx in Vancouver, BC. And they said, you know, we, we've heard about you. We'd like you to apply. So I did and I got it. And so I used that TEDx for branding to come out as somebody who could speak on something deadly, literally serious. And as a kicker, nobody in my family, my wife, my friends knew that I was living with major depressive disorder and chronic suicidal ideation. I came out on stage at that TEDx as depressed and suicidal. Yeah. And I told the story of my family. It runs in my family. My grandmother died by suicide. My mother found her. My great aunt died by suicide. My mother and I found her. I was four years old. I screamed for days. Uh, so I was hardwired for it. And I thought, you know what? I could speak on suicide prevention if I got some education on that topic. So when I got some education on suicide prevention, and that's what I speak on now when I speak, is suicide prevention as a workplace or college health and safety issue. And to see a man do it, because men tend not to share those kind of things, and see me get a little choked up on stage as I tell my story, vulnerability, as Brene Brown would say, is my superpower. Because it starts conversations, gives people cover to you know talk about their experiences and feelings surrounding mental health, mental illness without recrimination. That's really what they hire me to do, is come in start the conversation. So... That's my, so I use the TEDx, that first TEDx to rebrand. And then I got two phone calls after that. Two other TEDx committees said, you don't happen to have any other like mental health TEDx, you know, things rolling around your head. I said, I've got two, which one do you want? And second phone call came. I said, well, I got one. So I did my next two were actually invites to TEDx events. And then I applied for my fourth one called Suicide, the Secret of My Success, Dead Man Talking. And they liked the idea so much in the title and subtitle. I didn't have to audition. They just said, no, you're going to be on. And, and the fifth one I did, my favorite, only one I've ever gotten standing ovation for was uh, mental health and the orgasm. Treat your depression single handedly. <laughs> and again, no audition. They just said, no, you're on. So that led me to the conclusion that the way to get a TEDx is the linchpin is, is title, subtitle, Whatever you put in those first couple of boxes on the application has to be sticky, has to make them want to read on. They cannot not read on because they get a couple hundred applications. So it's, it's a sales pitch. You have to catch their attention, keep their attention long enough for them to read through, you know, the two sentence synopsis and the paragraph fleshed out and then why you're the person. And so I've got a dozen clients, long term clients all have a TEDx or two. And I've got some new clients. Uh, I think only one long term client of mine has not gotten a TEDx and it's killing me. So people are hiring you to help them get TEDx's? Yes, absolutely. Hiring me and paying me a ton of money. Um, so that's a great business you turn this into. And you know, we, I, I'm an entrepreneurial lawyer and I love hearing that kind of story. Tell, tell our listeners and viewers the difference between a TEDx and a TED Talk. Uh, TED Talk is an annual three or four day event. Bill Gates, Al Gore, you know, when Steve Jobs, you know, those guys, uh, 40 speakers, not all marquee speakers like that, but, you know, famous thought leaders, that kind of Nobel Prize winners. TEDx, X indicates local. Every medium sized to major city has at least one, sometimes two or three TEDx's a year. And so <clears throat> I, I help my clients find the links to apply, avoid the pitfalls that they build in to, to discourage people. If they 
get the audition, we prepare for the audition. And then if they get the talk, then they've got to create a sparkling 12 to 18 minute TEDx is going to get the most views possible. And along the way, we do speaker marketing training so that when it does post on YouTube, if they want to speak, you know, behind the talk that we have it ready to be monetized. And that's where I recommend, you know, that you should have a podcast. You should uh, do some guest appearances in your topic area. You know, a, a solid list of things they can do for SEO and such. So that when the TEDx does post and my, my program is a little different than most coaches. Mine's called, uh, I call it a till death do us part program. We work an hour a week, unlimited text and email until you get a TEDx or we both die trying. <laughs> and if you have adult children who want to do a TEDx and you die, you just will me to them like Packers tickets and I'll work with them until they get one. So yeah, it's a, I'm, I'm in it with them as a TEDx coach and speaker marketing coach pretty much for life at this point, which is fine. Yeah, that's clever. So, so, all right, back to, so your talk, I mean, you're, 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 you're talking, you know, you're, you're talking about a very uh, tough subject. You're showing your vulnerability. You're adding some humor to it. Um, how many, so, I mean, the first time getting up there on stage, was it nerve wracking? The TEDx was because, because, you know, comedy I've been doing forever, but with comedy, you don't have to make a point. Uh, with the TEDx, you have to, you have to teach the audience something. So in addition to telling my story, which wasn't difficult, that part I had nailed. It was the takeaways, the action items, you know, the learning objectives that because they're very concerned about what's the audience going to learn. You know, what can they do after they heard you speak? They couldn't do before they heard you speak. That was a nerve wracking part. Each one's gotten a little easier. And by the way, I have clients who go, how do you remember all that? I write notes on my hand, <laughs> uh, you know, like bullet points, macro. And if you watch my TED Talks closely in a couple of them, you'll see me do this. OK, we covered that. We covered that. Oh, and the eye starts giggling and I turn turn it toward him and go Palm Pilot, um, which people think I, I'm making that up just to look more human. It's so cute where you pretended you lost your place and look at your hand. Oh, yeah, I was kidding. Uh, so, so, yes. What, so, I mean, give me, so what, you know, we have not had a speaker on suicide prevention. I mean, tell me, tell me one of the two of the takeaways just so people could hear it on the show and then go find you on TEDx.com or TED.com or whatever the, uh, you or YouTube, it. my name, and just put in, you know, go to YouTube, type in Frank King and TEDx. Um, let's see. Do you, you are you looking for tips on how to spot depression, thoughts of suicide, or? You know, you, you, you mentioned some takeaways from your talks. I mean, what? Oh, that's, of, yeah, that's um, that, that my first one. Those were the takeaways. How do you spot depression? Which, is, by the way, is very important right now, especially when we're, you know, back and forth on Zoom. Um, signs that somebody may be depressed, uh, have trouble getting up in the morning, so they're late for the Zoom meeting, but rallying in the afternoon. Uh, when we do have social activities, they withdraw from things they used to really enjoy. Here's one you can actually notice on Zoom. There's Zoom casual, you know, like this. And then there's I'm depressed and I'm letting my personal hygiene go. That's a big sign. Letting personal hygiene. So their hair's a little dirty. Clothes aren't quite so clean. You're thinking, uh-oh, because they can't get out of bed, you know, mentally to go run a little wash, go to the bathroom, shave a shower. So those are signs of, you know, that they... They may be, de may be depressed. Um, it's a coincidence that I didn't shave for you and I'm wearing a baseball cap in my first podcast ever today. Yeah, I'm a little worried about that. Um, <laughs> yeah, you're letting your personal hygiene go. I did brush my teeth, so don't worry. Oh, about thank it. the Lord. Um, uh, so, so that's, I mean, that's interesting. So, what's your sixth one coming up on uh, in ne next year? I think February, I was told. Uh, it is, um, it's called Depressive Realism. 
there is some evidence that people who are depressed see the world more accurately than people who are neuronormal or neurotypical, who are maybe wearing rose-tinted glasses. There's something called a negative cognitive bias. I mean, if you're depressed, you look at the downside of pretty much everything. If you are, but if you're neuronormal, there's also a positive cognitive bias. So they've given, they gave normal people and depressed people a task and no instructions. Just do it. Just do the best you can. And when it was over, they found that the people who were neuronormal overrated their skill at the task. Ooh. And the people who were depressed were pretty accurate about how good a job they did. So the idea is that you change the frame on depression from something negative to something positive and that, you know, if you have an idea and you're not, you're, you know, you're, you're probably pretty sure it's going to work, find a depressed person and run it by them. It's my friend calls it the Jewish grandmother syndrome. If you want to find out everything that could possibly go wrong with an idea, he says, ask my grandmother, Oh, Mr. Smarty pants. That's not going to bike. I'll tell you why. Because so that, <laughs> that's the skill that depressed people have. So the whole idea is to change the frame of, Every TEDx, we try to change something. Uh, my, my third one was the mental benefits, the evolutionary advantages of mental illness. Because I observed that most people I knew with mental illness who weren't completely dysfunctional had some sort of corresponding superpower. And so that was the premise of the, that, that I, as somebody lived with mental illness, is not broken. I was just made this way. And that the depression suicide is just the flip side of my creativity, imagination, comic skills. It's all a package of wiring in my head. I can teach you to write stand-up. I can teach you to perform stand-up. I cannot teach you to process the incoming information the way my wired or, depending on your opinion, miswired brain does it. So, Got it. So, you know, you're not, you know, one of the questions that, that you know, some of my team put together, you're not getting paid for TEDx talks. People don't get paid for those, correct? No, you don't pay to go and you don't get paid. You have to fly yourself, put yourself up and... The, the payoff is if you're an author, you can talk about your book. If you have a particular cause or charity you work with, you can, you can't pitch it from the stage, but you can tell people the good work it does. And maybe you'll get volunteers and money speakers. Of course, having a big red letters behind you doesn't hurt you when, you know, in your demo video. Yeah. So there's a way to monetize it, but yeah, nobody gets paid to do a TEDx. Um, it's, it's odd because I charge a ton of money and somebody goes, you charge that much money to get somebody a speech. It doesn't pay anything. Am I right about this? Yep. <laughs> it's a great country. So how much, I mean, I've watched Ted talks. I haven't watched a ton of TEDx talks and I'm going to now after this conversation. Uh, and maybe I haven't in, cause I think it's on the same channel, aren't they? There's TEDx talks. On yeah. yeah. It's all on Ted. It's all on Ted.com. Yeah. And, and so, you know, what are you striving for on your, you know, do you, do you, I assume you write this by views. How many people are actually watching your Ted talk? What's a good Ted talk? What's a, What's a missed TED talk? You know, like how many of you seen where you've just seen some misses and what's a, you know, what's your goal when you're doing these things? Well, my goal is not views, actually. Uh, my goal is, as, as it was with my comedy, I was never really concerned about, let's say I'm taping evening at the improv, the old show. I want to do a good job, but I'm already looking down the road to see what can I do with that, that tape back then, that tape to, you know, take me to the next level. I thought for sure it was going to get me the Tonight Show because it was an amazing set. Um, same thing with, with, TEDx. A, a great TEDx is Brene Brown. She did a TEDx, got a million views, and got in. The dream is to get invited by the big TED to come to the you know the annual four day shindig. I get you know 20,000 views, but that's not really what I'm concerned with. It, it's more. It makes more money for me on my Gmail 
I've got four of them across the bottom of my Gmail and signature. It doesn't get me a gig, but when, you know, when the meeting planner scrolls down and sees four TEDx talks on mental health, well, hello. So it, it marketability, visibility, credibility. That's why somebody might like to, you know, author, speakers, coaches, Toastmasters, um, John Maxwell speakers, you know, anybody who speaks, coaches, trains, writes, it's a good platform to promote your, I mean, the dream is to get a million views, you know, and then get Ted, the big Ted comes down and says, you know, come to our stage. So, and maybe someday it'll happen. I don't know. And then you get to write your, uh, you get to write your own ticket. Yeah. And I've turned down to, cause I had conflict. So in my promo, I go, yeah, you know, I think about that the other day. I've been selected this many times. I had to turn two down. I've turned down more TEDx talks than most people have. <laughs> so, so the people who, you know, help me book my show and, and get guests, you know, we, we've had five people with some of the most incredible stories on our show. Actually, we've had more than five, but five who were all gentle, uh, four gentlemen and one woman who were wrongfully convicted years and years in prison. They get out and they have, they have these heartbreaking stories and you know, some of them may want to do a TED talk one day or a TEDx talk one day. And, and one of the questions was maybe we could use this interview to send to them yeah, to get started now. So, so these people will not be able to afford your exorbitant rates. Mm -hmm. and, uh, um, so why don't you, but so give us, give us some free advice. If somebody wants, if I want to just assume it's me, I'm, I, you're interviewing me. I can't afford your rates, but I have a great story. What, what are some basic um, tips that you can give me if I want to go out and try to get a TED Talk? Uh, can you maybe co-host so I can share the screen with you? Okay. Here's one way to find. You have to find the link to apply. So what you do is you go to TED.com forward slash TEDx forward slash events right here. And you come down here and let's just use the United States. United States. United States. Oops. Whoops. Can't spell we go United States and pick a year. And of course we're almost in 2020. So, and it's about a five month ramp up for every talk. So let's pick May. So us 2021 May. And in theory, we will get um, a map full of, we'll have the United States and it will have all the Ted talks in the U S in May also listed here. Notice this below. Um, there's one, these are all the ones and you see this, all the ones in May. And so now let's say you want to do, because I don't think, yeah, still thinking. I want a Detroit. Is there one in Detroit? Oh, uh, let's see. Okay. Send this to school. Well, maybe not in May it wouldn't be. Yeah, because it. Uh, I was just, since we're yeah. based in Detroit, but so yeah, I'm sure you could search Detroit as well. Yep. Let's do TEDx Gilbert. So if you're on the map and you click on one of those little blue dots, you'll get TEDx Gilbert. Now, here's the thing. This is how they discourage people. It says participate, but that's not in this TEDx. That's to participate in the big TED. So what you do is you, they got to make you work for it. So we go to TEDx Gilbert. Copy and we put it into another browser window. And what we're looking for here is TEDxGilbert.com or TEDxGilbert.com. Uh, here we go right here can you see this yep because these will take you back to that page we were just on this one is the actual tedx gilbert website 
Okay, and let's see. Videos, audio about directions, our featured speakers. Looks like I was, usually they have a button if they're accepting nominations that says nominate somebody or apply to speak or so in this case it's not here but that's where you would find it and i would suggest if you get there and there's no link then i would go to facebook and sign up for their you know follow them so that next year or whenever the link is available for applying they will send you a you know a notice on facebook what's the what's the gilbert thing gilbert is that a thing or a uh, is that just a national Text Gilbert is the name I'm guessing of a town. Let me see. Got it. Usually it's in the university, Texas University. Um, Ted conference takes place each spring in Vancouver, BC. So it's it's uh, Gilbert must be a town in in um, in Gilbert or is it California? Started started as a four day conference. Okay. Doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, that's one way to find it. Um, also, if we're on this page and it doesn't have a .com like this, look for the Facebook because that's an even better way to message them because on Facebook, you can message them and send a message. And I would just, uh, okay, Let's see if it let me log in. Can't be processed. Yeah, I know why. Assume that we yep. could find um, TEDx uh, locations. And, you know, these people have amazing stories. Some of them have a Showtime show. Uh, they've been on Netflix uh, documentaries. But um, how do they translate that into a 15-minute talk, putting a, you know, a story that takes hours and hours and hours to share to a 15-minute talk? That, to me, seems really hard. Well, the, there's a difference between your story and a TEDx talk. Uh, a TEDx talk is generally divided into three th – Three, uh, three sections. First section is your story, the hero or heroine's journey, your struggles. The second four, five, six minutes is what you learned. And the last four or five, six minutes is what you're going to teach the audience. So it's only a third of it is the, the amazing story. And often I get hired because just exactly what you said. On a TEDx application, occasionally they'll ask for your idea in one of three ways. Give me a title, subtitle. Give me a 10 word elevator pitch or a two-sentence summation. And most of my clients have a hernia at this point trying to figure out how they're going to take this, you know, this lifetime of experience and the ideas they have and boil it down to a 10-word elevator pitch, which is my job, basically. And the reason I believe that TEDx folks want a 10-word elevator pitch or two sentences, they figure if you can sum it up in 10 words or two sentences, then you can comfortably do it in 12 to 18 minutes. If you can't, then it's too broad, too much. That's the one thing that kills most TEDx applications is too much of something. I, if you go to my website, yourtedxcoach.com, there's a free PDF titled The Six Things You Can Do to Kill Your Chances of Landing a TEDx. And number one is too much. So often, oftentimes they hire me because they just can't edit it down to 10 words. Okay. So those, that's some good, that's some good advice. And I, we'll, we'll definitely put your links um, on our, on our YouTube page and on our Facebook pages to, to share. Can you tell me about, uh, and I, I assume they're doing TEDx talks virtually right now. 
Yes, they are. And a lot of people who believe the TEDx aren't happening are not happening. So it's a good time to apply because I'm guessing the number of applications are down. Interesting. Yeah. Now's a good opportunity. Another good takeaway. Another good takeaway. Um, and then, I mean, so it's interesting. So once you get a TED Talk, the next question was about how you, you leverage it. Um, what's your best, you know, what do you tell your clients how to best leverage it besides putting it under your email? Um, how do you best leverage the TED Talks? Well, let's uh, back up just a little bit upstream. If you apply, you know, use one of the links I showed you how to get and you get an audition. They're probably going to want five minutes overview, five minute overview. And then they're going to ask you and you need to be prepared for this. What are the takeaways? What are the learning objectives? What are the action items? Because a lot of people get tripped up there. So my, I make my clients make a list of six things they're going to teach the audience. And you need to quote your resources, you know, give me the links on any facts or figures. And then I help them put together the 12 to 18 minute talk. Mm -hmm. The way to monetize it is, is you, it goes up on the event YouTube channel, not your YouTube channel. So the best you can do is share that uh, on, you know, across your social media platforms, do a press release, um, make sure that if you work with speakers bureaus, or meeting planners or whatever that they get a you know they send out a an announcement hey i did a ted talk here's a link to the video so it what, what it gets you is credibility visibility and marketability because the event planner has to sell you to the whoever tasked them to give me a speaker well why'd you pick this guy well he's got four ted talks five ted talks oh lord okay or they send him the ted talk oftentimes people when they call up looking for me maybe to speak well, you know, let me send you, um, let me send you, you know, a couple of my TED talks and you, you decide if this is a good fit. So are, you so, getting, are you getting paid speaking gigs from this? My fee is 7,500 to 15,000 for a 45 minute keynote and 15 minutes of Q and A. So that's a yes. Yes. Now here's, it's not just a TED talk, not TED talks to give me that kind of money. What I've done is I've picked a lane, which I think is very important. And I've talked to my speaker coaching clients about this. I speak on one thing, suicide prevention is a workplace or college health and safety issue, period. So I'm a specialist. My website screams suicide prevention. And then I pick four markets where occupations, where the rate of suicide is high, they have meetings, they have money, they use outside speakers, and they desperately need to hear what I have to say about bringing the suicide rate down. Dentist, veterinarians, physicians, construction. So you need to pick a lane first, and then you need to pick, pick markets. The ideal client is the vernacular in the speaking business. Who is your ideal client? And only market to them. If you go to Suicide Prevention Speakers Dental, and dentists are one of my, if you go to Suicide Prevention Speakers Dental, you'll find six to eight organic leads for me on page one because I market simply to those four groups, not mm. a shotgun approach. So you type in any of my keywords in dental, and I come up page one. Google. And that's, that's part of what I do with my clients is see if we can't get them with their keywords on page one, Google. Cause there's an old joke. If you wanted to hide from the world, where would you go? Page two, Google, nobody goes there. So that's, that's part of the, you know, what I offer. Uh, I didn't know. So dentists are, are some of the highest um, people who are committing suicide. Yes. Not the highest construction, mining, excavation are one, two, and three. And then um, fishing forestry, and then the white collar, dentists, veterinarians, physicians, 400 physicians die by suicide every year in the U.S. Huh. Yep. And so I and 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 there all, all those industries are trying to do something about it. That's the key. I tell my speakers, like, I don't care how good your keynote is or your story is. 
if they don't need the information, you're wasting your breath. Fascinating. So, yeah. And I, you know, and I work on, let's say you have somebody who's got an amazing story. First, we work on the TED, do a 12 to 18 minute version. And when that's done and in the can, then we, we work on blowing that up to a 45 minute keynote. You can charge serious money for, and you know, 45 plus 15, a Q and a generally. And I tell my clients, look, you start at five grand plus travel. If anybody ever asks, that's kind of, that's where the new speakers coming in are at. If you have some speaking chops, I'd say 7,500 to 10 grand, depending on how long you've been speaking. So it's, you know, it's perceived value. If we're not, I haven't made a 15 yet, but I made two tens last year and this year in January, February, when you, when you tell somebody you charge 10 grand and you do it with confidence, they don't ask questions. They just figure, you know what the hell you're talking about. It's that perceived value. Yeah. He thinks he's worth that kind of money. Uh, it's a little surreal when they hand you a check for 10 grand for 45 minutes. I mean, I must tell you, it's a little mind bending. I, I bet. A friend of mine said, you walked into that, that ballroom and walked out with more money than if you'd robbed everybody. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I have a friend who's a professional speaker here or in Detroit and uh, the pandemic has not been good to no. this industry um, to say the least, but hopefully it'll be back you know, now that they're starting the vaccines and everything's happening and hopefully, well, hopefully and you guys will be back on stage soon is what I was going to say. Well, and I think it, it's a good time if you have clients or people who listen to the podcast who want to speak a, because apply for TEDx now, because like I said, I'm guessing the app, number of applications is down. And number two, the national speakers association believes 25 to 40% of the speakers pre pandemic are going to quit, retire, move on. So there's going to be a pinup demand and fewer speakers when this thing finally breaks and people start booking live conferences again. So now, now's a good time to get yourself in a position to take advantage of the, you know, the roaring twenties as somebody put it this morning, when the economy snaps back and there are fewer speakers. Very interesting. And uh, I'm looking forward to watching your Ted talks. I'm sure that I'm going to learn some stuff and I'm sure I'm, um, I'm going to laugh, a, laugh a lot. And I appreciate you giving some tips. I, I hope, you know, I'm thinking there's going to be people calling you after hearing this because I have some friends, um, some new friends who definitely have stories that should be on the TED talk circuit and uh, love to find a way that you guys could work together. So um, thanks well, for being here. And um, the, the first, you know, if they want to do a half hour over a virtual cup of coffee. Um, I'd be happy to chat with them for nothing. That doesn't cost a thing. If it goes past half an hour, that's fine. I just, you know, answer questions and walk them through this again so they can do it themselves. And then before the end of the year, there's a company called speakerflow.com that called me and said, look, we got all this information on our website on TEDx. We got no way to monetize it. Would you put together a 90 minute, you know, how do you do a TEDx? How do you land a TEDx? Sure. So before the end of the year, there'll be a $249 version so that, you know, anybody can afford, um, cause I charge $3,997 and I'm not the most expensive in the market. I think $4,800 is the most expensive coaching program. Wow. So, yeah. I love your I love your guarantee that uh, you're not going anywhere until they until they land one. I think that's real clever and smart, and um, I'd love to talk to you more and, and try to introduce you to some people. That'd be great. Thanks for watching and listening to Open Mic, Frank King. If you're interested in a TED Talk or you know somebody who's got a special story that can you know, really help people and really can 
convey a message and, and teach some people. I think TED Talks are amazing. Check out Frank's links that are below. It's, he's got several of them. And uh, forward this podcast to somebody who, who could benefit from it. And as always, we really appreciate you watching, listening to Open Mic, and we'll see you next time.